Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Our series today, we're continuing in the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can flick to Ruth chapter 2 or it will be on the screen behind me as well. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just uh, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants." If you weren't here last week, we kicked off uh, getting ahead into Ruth. We saw chapter 1, just getting into this Old Testament story, and it very much is a story, this little window into the lives of just a handful of people in this time of the Judges, so it's about 1300 years BC, if you want to lock it into history. But it really is a story of uh, how these people are, are playing out their lives and what is God doing as a part of that. Uh, so we're up to chapter 2. Uh, we start to see a bit of romance in this chapter, but how about I pray and then, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. Dear Father God, just thank you for allowing us to be here today, to take this time to draw near to you and your word. Even though we're re- reading this story about other people, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and show us uh, how to live for you, how to trust you, how can we be um, people of God who, who live for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Earlier this year, Kim and I visited another church when we were on holidays. We like to visit other churches because we don't get that many opportunities to visit other churches. So we thought we'll pop down, see some friends at another church. And uh, during that experience, it's always interesting going to somebody else's church because you don't really know anybody unless you know friends there. So we walked into this place and, to be honest, during the whole service, only one person spoke to us, a couple sitting behind us, or one people, one couple spoke to us, which was, uh, you know, it's always awkward. Good reminder, we need to talk to people when we're at church, particularly people, if it's their first time, it's a bit scary. That's not why I'm telling you the story. The person who I was talking to, through the conversation, we introduced ourselves, heard his name, this man I had heard about over 20 years ago and I thought that would be a cool guy to meet. And I'd met him, he's here. So I said to him, oh, are you really so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, like what? I said, I've been wanting to meet you for so long. So it's just this random moment of this one Sunday, we go to visit this one church, he is there, he's there, not every Sunday, but a lot of Sunday, he's there. He not only is there, he sits in the seat right behind us and he talks to us, the only person in the whole church who talks to us. And this is the guy I've been wanting to talk to for 20 years. It's like, this is amazing. What's the chances? What's the chances? It's like, you know, did God have a hand in that? Did God play a, a part of like, I'm going to put these pieces together because this will be a good conversation to have? Or was it just, was it just chance? What are the chances? We live with this tension about what we do and the decisions we make and who we bump into and how things play out. What is the chances? How much has God got his hand on that, making things happen? What is the tension? How does that play out? This is what we see in this story about this tension. God is not mentioned in our passage that we had read for us this morning. In fact, he's not mentioned in the whole, well, he's not mentioned about his actions in this whole chapter. But yet, that some events happen that kind of go, it makes you wonder, what is God doing in this moment? To get us up to speed of what's happened so far that builds the tension it's in chapter 1, if you weren't here, we've met this family, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. Uh, they're in Bethlehem, in God's, God's place. Bethlehem's the house of bread, but there was famine. So they had to make a decision then. Do they stay where there's famine, trust God, or do they go to Moab? Moab is not God's place. They worship another God, there's temples there, but there's food. And they go to Moab uh, to live. Elimelech, the dad, dies. The two sons marry Moabites, so we might say they're not Christians um, because they, they worship this other god, Chemosh. Uh, then the sons die. Then Naomi, the mum, she's lost a husband. She's lost her two sons. She's lost her uh, protector, provider in that culture of that time. Uh, it, it, like without a husband or without a, a man leading the family, you're very vulnerable at, in that season of, in world history. So she comes back home to Bethlehem, back to God, back to God's people. She heard there's food there. She's now got two Moabite daughter-in-laws. One, it's better to stay home, home with my friends, my family, where I can be looked after. But the other one, Ruth, is the girl we get to, get, get to know. She says, no, no, I'm with you, Naomi, the mum. I'm with you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your God, I'm going to be with your people, I'm going to be at your place. So Ruth follows her all the way back to Bethlehem. 
And this is where we left chapter one. Things sort of went from bad to worse. Things are bad, there's a famine, but it went to worse. They've moved away, they've lost dad, lost the two sons, lots of funerals, and now they're back. And it ends, the chapter sort of comes to an end with this Naomi telling her friends, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Kind of, you get this, ah, oh, things are really hard for them, but at least she's come back to God. Come back to Bethlehem to be with God and God's people. And the harvest season is about to start. Maybe there's something good in this story. So then, this is the tension. How are things going to play out? How is God going to provide for them and how are they going to survive? What's the plan? So we hit chapter 2 with all these questions about how this is going to play out. We get to chapter 2 verse 1 and there's this random verse that's not a part of the narrative. It's just a detail for, for us, the readers, to know later. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now this is this important detail of this. Who's going to be the protector provider? Who's going to be what they, they call a kinsman redeemer? Who's going to be um, responsible for them as a family, as a household? Because at the moment, you've got Naomi, the mother, who's getting old. She's bitter. She's not very happy. And you've got Ruth, who's a young widow, not from this place. She's Moabite. So who's going to, to save them, in a sense? Who's going to redeem them? Who's going, oh, yes, my husband's relative in the clan of Elimelech. Um, this is the responsibility of, of the close relatives, the sons or, or brothers are to marry the widows to keep the family line happening. Now, there is a distant relative, but the detail is so not important to Naomi, she doesn't even mention it to Ruth. We're going to find out later. Ruth doesn't even know who Boaz is. But there's this little detail we're just given as the reader, the writer saying, hey, there's this little bit of information, it's going to help you later. Just remember that. There's this guy called Boaz. And Boaz, as we learnt last week, names have meanings. Boaz, uh, his name means a man of strength or warrior. You know, already we're introduced to this guy who we might meet later, this little bit of random information. He's the man of strength. He's known as a warrior. That's his reputation. That's his name. He's probably not going to walk around in like a skivvy with a turtleneck. He'll be wearing a flanny. He'd be wearing a flanny, right? He's not going to go down to the cafe and probably not going to order, you know, your, your cafe uh, latte, uh, your, your decaf latte sort of thing. You know, no. He's not going to be listening to boy bands on his iTunes playlist. Like, he sounds like he's the man. That's the reputation, or this is the hint we're given right at the start. So now there's a question. Why are we even told this? We're not even in the story yet. Why are we given this bit of information? Just hold it for later, is almost like what it's saying. It's, it's, it's random, but it's kind of, this is how this story's going to play out. It does feel a bit random. Verse 2. And now we get into this first day. All these events are going to happen this first day. And it's just like a pretty mundane, routine day. Ruth the Moabitess, we're reminded, she's a foreigner. She's an outsider. Every time you see that Ruth the Moabite, she's not one of us, is kind of what the story is saying. She said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes are fine favour. 
it's kind of like, I didn't come all this way just to starve because they've got no provider, there's no social security system uh, at that time. It's like, I didn't come all this way to just starve. How about I go out in the field and I do this thing they, they call gleaning, where you know, it's in the law that God had told uh, the Israelites when they go into the promised land, when you do your, uh, plant your crops and do your harvesting, uh, let your workers go through and they harvest the grain, but don't be too serious about getting every bit of grain just leave a little if it falls on the ground just leave it behind and let uh, the widows and the poor people the you know the unemployed of uh, people that haven't got jobs they're hungry they need food let them go behind and glean so they pick up the scraps and let them pick up the scraps God's saying oh, I care for the widows I care for the poor this is my land that I'm letting you use uh, let them do it so it was acceptable that the widows, the foreigners or poor people could go and glean. This would be a little bit like, you know, there's not, we don't have this sort of equivalent today. And I was thinking, this is like a young woman moving into Eight Mile Plains. She's got uh, no support network around her. She's got no money, no job. She's a foreigner. She doesn't know anything around her. There's no social security system around her. So how are people going to survive they start getting into your bins and stuff. They start collecting in bottles and cans and just what, what can I do just to get some money for some food or find some food? So they start going into bins. I'm not sure if you've seen people going into the bins. You know, they're not dressed up. You can tell they're doing it not because they want to do it, because they have to do it. They're a bit smelly usually. You've got their old clothes on. So what are you doing? But you kind of don't stop them because you go, oh man, just do it because this... You're only doing it because you need to do it. I can see that. So it's kind of acceptable even in our culture. Uh, yeah, even in our streets, on bin nights, when the bin go out, people go through our bins to get bottles and cans and stuff. It's like, well, if that's what you've got to do, just, yeah, that's okay. It's kind of like with this gleaning. It's for the widows, the poor people, the foreigners without work. It's like, yeah, just that's a part of who we are. We'll let you pick up the scraps. And for, for Ruth... She's going, how about I go out into the fields and I'll try and find someone who's, who's I find favour in my eyes. Yeah, lots of people could say, no, no, we don't want you people around here. But no, no, maybe somebody will show favour. And Naomi, the mum, says, sure, yep, go ahead, go ahead. It's the kind of decision you make on a very ordinary day. Am I going to go to work today? Well, do I want to eat? <laughs> yeah, well, I probably should go to work. It's that sort of, it's very mundane, isn't it? Very ordinary. How does this play out? So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. She goes out and it starts. It, again, it feels very ordinary. Nothing special is happening with this. But then we get this phrase, as it turned out. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz who's from the clan of Elimelech, just in case you forgot from a few verses earlier, is a relative. This is important information. But these, as it turned out, just by chance, what's the chance? What's the chance that she would go out from Bethlehem into the fields, see who's harvesting, walk past all these fields and end up in the field of Boaz? What's the chance that would happen? It's kind of this hint of like, gee, this is, this is good luck or good circumstance. Might, some people might even call it karma. But it's very random. But yet, it's there to help us think. There's no mention of God here, but 
all throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about there's no chance or randomness. God has his hand on everything. The book of James says every good and, good and perfect gift comes from God. There's no randomness about this. That the writer is kind of going, it looks random, looks very ordinary, very mundane, another day at work. But guess what? It just so happens she's in this field belonging to Boaz. We kind of start to get a picture of Boaz too. Boaz seems to be rich. He's a wealthy landowner, it would seem. How's this going to play out with Boaz? You know, we've speculated a little bit of what he's like. What is Boaz really like? Just then, guess what? Another it just so happened moment. Boaz turns up. Again, what's the chance that she's in Boaz's field? On the day, Boaz goes and checks how his workers are going. And she's in the spot where Boaz just happens to turn up. So all these things are starting to fall into line. Boaz arrives from Bethlehem's come from uh, in town, come out to the farm, and he greets his harvesters. What's he like? He says, the Lord be with you. And his harvesters, the blue-collar labourers out in the field, reply, and the Lord bless you, they answered. This is a priestly greeting that in the book of Numbers, it talks about the priests. This is how they greet each other at the temple and at the synagogues, uh, at the, um, yeah, in the temple area. It's, but for, for Boaz, it seems like, I don't want to just do this at the temple, like our church. I want to bring this into my workplace. So he has this godly greeting. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. They reply, the Lord bless you. It sounds like Boaz is a very godly character. But then he, he looks around, and he oversees what's going on with his workers, and he knows there's someone different. There's someone different in the field today. He says, who does that young woman belong to? He talks to his foreman, the guy who's organising the work in the, yard, in, the, in the fields. Who does that young woman belong to? And don't be put off by this phrase, belong to, because it's, it's the common language to understand. Who's her um, protector provider? Who's who she married to is kind of what he's saying. Who does she, uh, is she the daughter of someone? Who's her father? How does she fit into things is the question behind what he's saying. Says, notice there's something about it. We could also speculate, is this love at first sight? If you've read the story, it is a romance story. Is this love at first sight? Because I do kind of wonder, she's probably not looking her best, is she? She's like diving into garbage cans, you know. She's probably come out. She's been in the field for a while now in the hot sun. She's sweaty. She's dirty. She's got hay fever. That's really playing up because she's out in the field. She's in her uh, peasant outfit. She probably hasn't done a hair. She's not there to impress, is she? No, no, she's hungry. She's there to get food. But something about Boaz says, hey, I want to know about her. What's her story, is what he's saying. And the overseer replied, oh, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. That emphasis, she's a foreigner. Not just any from Moab, that terrible place, with Naomi. It's interesting here that there's almost an assumption. You know who I'm talking about. She's not a Moabite who come back from Moab. No, she is the Moabite who came back from, from Moab with Naomi. It's like, you know the story, right? Like, all oh, Bethlehem's been talking about this, this story about this, this Moabite who's a young widow now. And he's like, yeah, that's assumed. Like, he knows the story. And he also says, and she's really polite. She come in, she asked me to glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. 
a lot of the other people just come in and they just start picking up the scraps but no no she come and ask me is this all right so she joined us that's, that's that's something that stuck in my head he says but also she came into the field this is worth mentioning to, to boaz the boss she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter he's been watching it too it's like man this lady's work ethic he's, she's getting into it she's not sitting back she's like a hard worker it's funny how just in these few little sentences there's so much that he's saying as well there is something about this girl there is something about it that that is worth noticing she is that hard-working woman of, of good character she's not the the poor widow or the poor foreign widow who's going to sit back and wait things to come to her no no she's going out and very mundane ordinary got to do some work to get food i'm going to go out there and i'm going to do it well i'm going to be polite about it i'm going to work hard about it i'm just going to get into it and people are noticing they notice so what is boaz going to do see boaz we're starting to get a picture now he's this uh, kinsman redeemer so he's a relative he's known as the warrior or the man of strength he's rich he's also as we find out as the story goes on uh, he's single and he's also um, a bit older as well so you got this character sort of building but how's he going to make a move you might say with this girl that he's just heard the story of it needs a conversation so what does he do he goes and talks to her so boaz says to ruth and this would be great to play out as a drama up on the stage because how do you think boaz's voice would sound my daughter listen to me it's like this i don't know what it's going to be like but i'd imagine it's quite blokey right that he would come i'm just guessing and my voice doesn't go that deep but it's but you can imagine my daughter listen to me now there's a few interesting this is their first conversation in a romance we're going to be looking at the next few weeks There's another few chapters of this this is their very first conversation it also might be an answer to why he's still single i don't think this is a great pickup line if any of you single guys want to try this out let me know how it goes if you go to somebody over morning tea and up to a girl hey my daughter listen to me just see how that works for you i don't think it's going to go that great just giving you the heads up but for moaz like it did trouble me why is he why is this in here how's this a start off line i think what it's saying is boaz is boaz is the man he's like the owner of the land he's the boss he's in control and we don't like listening to bad bosses bad bosses can say what they want nobody listens to them but what we know of boaz so far he's a good boss and it looks like everybody's listening to him so when he gets beside you and says hey listen to me it's like yeah i want to listen to this guy that seems to be the impression we get but then he gives us some important instructions don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here it's like i know the other farmers you stay close to to bow right stay close to me don't go over those other fields you know those uh harris field the, the other ones um that could that could get you into trouble you stay close to bow where it's nice and safe also stay here with the women who work for me 
He's not offering him a job at this point, but there are other, there's a team of people who work for him. Stay close to them. You know, you're a foreigner, you don't know anybody. Get to know these people. They'll look after you. Included, he's including her in the working team. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and, allow, uh, uh, and follow along with the other women. He also says, I've told the men, and this could be the first ever sexual harassment policy ever recorded in the history of mankind, I think. I've told the other men not to lay a hand on you. I'm not sure how that plays out, but when the boss comes around, says, see, see that Moabite? Yeah, she's cute, right? She's cute. We're told later she, she's a beautiful woman. She's cute. Don't you lay a hand on her. Don't you touch her. Read between the lines. I own a lot of land. If you were to go missing, they would never find you. Stay away from her. And it seems to get the message across. Should he have to say that? Well, in, in 1300 BC, yes, he did have to say that. You need to stay away from this girl. And whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men, the men are filled. So I'd imagine they're blue-collar, they're labourers, they've come out to the field to work for the day, they've all brought their eskies for their lunch and stuff. They've also uh, got the big water cooler full of ice and cold water to keep you going because they're out in the sun and the dusty, the dryness. He's like, I don't know, help yourself to their water. The stuff that's just reserved for the workers, the men who are doing the labouring stuff. No, no, do it's your water too. He's welcomed her like one of his employees, not just any employee, but a favourite employee, the best employee, giving you all the treatment here. It kind of like is overwhelming. What's he doing with this? That he's gone out of the way to impress her. In fact, it is so suspicious, even Ruth has to ask him about it. What are you doing? At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. It's customary. It's not yeah, anything more than that. It's customary. She asked him, why have, you found such fa- why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Read between the lines of this. Where is this going? What are you doing? What do you want from me? Because usually, if somebody goes out of their way to help you it's because they want something in return it's kind of like are you doing me a favor so i have to return the favor at some point is this what's going on here what's your intentions what is going on with this so she's this is great happy to accept it but what's your motive behind all this it's a good question as we know ruth uh If she's thinking something, she'll ask it. And she's putting it before him. What's going on here? Boaz, sure, I'll let you know what's going on. I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the day your husband, uh, since, since the death of your husband, and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and come back to live with the people you didn't did not know before. He's like This is huge what you've done. I've heard about it. Her story has gone before her and people are noticing her in what she's done. What's happened to her? For starters, she's left Moab. That's a big deal to leave your country where you've got your people and your gods to come to to where he is in Judah, in uh, Bethlehem in Judah, to to be worshipping the the God of the Bible and to live with that people. And not only that, to do it with your mother-in-law that 
to be honest, is a bit crazy. Like, she's mad still. Like, she's furious about how bitter she's been treated by God. It's like, that's a big deal. But you've left your homeland to come back with Naomi, who's a bit angry, and to come live with people you did not know before. Like, this is like the equivalent of somebody coming who um, believes in another faith, Buddhist or Muslim or no faith at all. As I come from a world of just being um, haters against God and haters against God's people to go, actually, now, I think I want to follow that God and I want to be with his people. Like, it's a huge thing for somebody to come from outside a faith in Jesus to having a faith in Jesus. Now they're doing this random thing, sitting in church on a Sunday morning, listening to the Bible being preached, singing songs, doing all this strange stuff. It's an amazing story. It happens all the time that God changes people's hearts like this. But this is an amazing story and Boaz has seen it in, in Ruth and he's gone, I know what you've been through. I've seen the change. I know your story and I'm just, I'm so encouraged by it. They want to help you in this. In fact, he says this kind of a prayer. He says from verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May the Lord richly reward you. Uh, uh, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He summarises her actions as this, uh, this metaphor about coming under the wings of God, which is a, is a term that's used pretty regularly in the Old Testament, talking about how birds, if you had anything to do with birds, uh, you have the mother, particularly well, I know it from a farm, from Chooks, uh, if they have their chickens, if there's anything, any danger or anything in need, the, the mother just puffs out its wings, all the chickens run under the wings. You can't see any chickens because they're covered under the wings of the mother bird. And this is the, the picture we should have of God. When I come near to God, he's like the mother bird and he's inviting us. He loves it when his kids come under his wings so he can protect them. This is the phrase and this is the, the picture that, that Boaz is, is showing. It's like, I know you've come from Moab, you've come to Bethlehem and you've come like a chick under the wings of its mother to be protected, to be provided for. It's a great picture of Israel but of even foreigners to come in, to come under God. I know that's what you've done and I'm going to pray that the Lord will bless you in this journey. This is an amazing picture of Boaz, isn't it? A man of God. Not only is he uh, generous with his staff, he wants to be her protector, provider. I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to include you in my team. I want all this stuff for you. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will continue to bless you in what you're doing. Because I know you've, you've made big choices in your life to be here. I'm going to pray that continues. What's Ruth to think of this? So Ruth replies, May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord. Don't read anything too much into my Lord. Like she's not treating him like God. Even though he might think, I've just helped this woman. And she's like, thank you, my Lord. We'd all love, all blokes would love to hear that. But that's not what it means. It's just out of uh, respect and honour for, for uh, an authority figure. They call him my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She's still got this, you have treated me so good like one of your workers. But not just any worker, but like you're a good boss, and to be under to to work under you is fantastic. But I'm not even one of your workers. 
She's still a foreigner. She's still referred to as a, a Moabite. One of those people. But she, he's treating her so well. This is their first conversation. Okay, when we go, we'll do the rest of chapter 2 next week in the growth groups. We're hitting the whole chapters. But uh, you might say next week and the rest of the chapters, like their first date, they're going to have a meal together. That'll be exciting to see. But in this first conversation, there's a few things that we're forced to think about here. And it's about their character as much as about who God is and how God is at work. So even in their character, we start to think, even if you're married or single, Naomi's a, uh, sorry, Ruth is a person that shows lots of qualities that God calls us to be as a child of God. See, Ruth is attractive to Boaz, you could say, because he's engaged, like he's pursuing her in the conversation. But she's, I don't think she's doing it because of her looks. Because I think for Boaz, he's a wealthy guy, he's a bit older guy, he's a nice guy, he's a lovely guy. I think he's, if their world is anything like now, he's probably got lots of, you might say, hot girls trying to, to buddy up to him, you know, the, the rich sugar daddy thing. But he's like, no, no, no. He's seen her in the field in all the dust and the dirt and the smell and the, the peasant outfit and it's like, she's not looking so glamorous. But there's something else that's attractive about her. He's drawn to her for her character, and that's emphasised in this passage, that she trusts God. He says to her, I know you've made a decision to, to, to leave what was the easy path in Moab, following Chemosh, their God and their temple. It's everything you grew up with, your support. You left that behind to follow God. That's, a big, that's something that my heart goes out to. I respect that, he says to support her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, is not out in the fields. She seems to be a bit older. But you're at, you've stayed by her side. You vowed never to leave her. And now you're out in the field gleaning, sort of diving through bins to collect. Like, it's not a very glamorous thing to do. But you are doing it to be faithful to your mother-in-law. I respect that. There's something admirable about that. And you go out the field to do something. She's a hard worker. She's not there waiting for the miraculous to happen. It would be very easy for this story to start. It's a story in the Bible about two widows in their room starving to death. What should God do? They could go, well, God should come to me. Give me the miraculous, because it's a story in the Bible, right? Give me the miraculous. God has dropped down manna and quail for people before who are hungry. Maybe we should just open the door and God will provide for us. No, it's a very mundane, it's a very ordinary story. And in ordinary days, when you're making ordinary decisions, why is it called ordinary? Because it's ordinary, <laughs> God's not just dropping miracles every day. It's like, I have to make a choice what I'm going to do. Am I going to go out and work or am I going to wait for a quail to fall from the sky so I can eat? It's an ordinary day. I think I'm going to go out and, and work. It's like, I respect. You're a hard worker. You're not just sitting back. It's attractive to her. It says something about her faith that she does that. Ruth is not trying to impress on this day. She's just trying to get food. But she is impressing. She's impressing all those around her, even when she thinks no one is looking, but they are looking. I'm really challenged by that. 
you know, whether a man or a woman. Her character is something to get. I can learn from her. Even from Boaz. Boaz takes on the character of being a protector, provider, that he's welcomed her, he's kept her safe, he's uh, put things in place to protect her. He's gone out of his way to take care of her. Not because he has to, he's got no obligation to, but because he wants to, because he chooses to. He not only prays for her, but when he prays, He's also a part of the solution as well. You know, pray the Lord bless you and, and help you prosper and have your food and be able to survive here. And guess what? Here, have some food. I've made sure, you know, they're, they're leaving stuff plenty behind for you. But he's doing it. See, I think for a lot of us blokes, we can be charming. We can be nice for a little while, for a girl. We can do that sort of stuff. But for Boaz... Our wives say, why don't you do it all the time? That is the problem, I confess. But for Boaz, this is part of his character. He's not doing it just on one day, a special day. This seems to be who he is. He's always protecting people. He's always providing for people. He's the guy you want to have around because he's just always there. He's faithful, he's reliable, and he's always encouraging. He's even praying for you. That's the sort of guy that I want to be. So sort of guy all of us should want to be, a bit more like Boaz. Not because people are watching us, but even in the routine, mundane type stuff, it's living out our faith to be like God. So I think there's stuff about their character that we can be encouraged by to go, that's the sort of person I want to be. But it also, up to this point in the story, it seems to be a this is too good to be true type story. Started off two hungry women sitting in a room and now um, Ruth comes out being very vulnerable working in a field by herself, not knowing anybody, being a foreigner, being a widow, where now she's being loved and cared for. It's like, what's the chance? It just so happens that God has steered her this way. No mention of God to this point, but it's kind of implied, what is the chance of this happening? Yeah, pretty much zip. So how did it happen? God's got his hand on this, drawing people together through different circumstances, through different situations, through different decisions. He's putting this all together. And we can have confidence in that. This is going to be a reminder for every, every uh, chapter of this book that God's got his hand on stuff. Nothing happens by chance or circumstance or karma. It's all God is in control. God is bringing things together for his sake, for his glory. For this, it's an amazing story, but we do have to sit back and go, it's not, this is not Disneyland writing this. This is a real story in Scripture teaching us about how God works. So let me encourage you to trust God in that. For those events, for the mundane, especially in the ordinary, where you think nothing's happening today. I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to work because I need food on the table, I need to do this. Commit it to God because it's in the ordinary that God works not in the miraculous, but in miraculous compared to ordinary. And we'll see this unfold over the next few weeks. Let me encourage you to do that. If your life is feeling very ordinary, very mundane, just to know that God has, is working stuff within that world that will hopefully get us all really excited. Let me pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for your love for us. Thank you for being dependable. That even through this story about two people who were we're all encouraged by to be a Ruth, uh, to see her character and her trust in you, to give up so much stuff, but to trust in you.
Thank you for her inspiration. Thank you for giving us a little window into what Boaz was like. Dependable, faithful, loving, protecting, providing for others. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Well, let us all be a bit more like Boaz. But because you're a great God who does that to us. That you're a God we can trust. Even in the mundane and the ordinary. You're the one protecting and providing for us. You're the one that's dependable. So Lord, let us draw near to you on all occasions, even when things are hard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.